Hello and welcome to episode 323 of a Veg Grower podcast. My name's Richard and I'm on a mission to grow as much food as I possibly can in my allotment and garden. Coming up in just a moment, I'm chatting to Jason and Michael who reached out to me to talk about their grow lights and that's coming up in just a moment. But firstly, let's find out what I've been up to today. Well, today is the 2nd of June 2020. At the moment, I'm at home in the garden. But I start today's diary off this morning. I went down the allotment first thing. Now, by first thing, I mean I was on the allotment by 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I've said time and time again, I'm not a morning person. And usually when I go down the allotment, I tend not to get there till half 8, 9 o'clock reason for that is I don't believe it's fair on the residents if I go in there earlier and start firing things like the lawnmower up or or making a bit of a noise but this morning I did go down there for eight o'clock <laughs> that for me is quite early and uh, first thing I did was went into the greenhouse while it was still cool and I just gave the greenhouse a really good weeding out there's a lot of bindweed in there, not so much cooch grass. I don't think the cooch grass likes the heat, but certainly bindweed, which all pulls out really, really easily. And that was removed, and uh, that goes into the compost bin. Now, I followed that up outside with more weeding, more watering, the usual sort of thing that goes on on the allotment. And really, that's all I did on the allotment. I wanted to get home before it got too hot, which is why I went down there early. I could probably go down earlier if I popped my mind into gear and got up earlier. Trouble is, like I say, I'm not a morning person and I need my sleep and I don't tend to go to bed after doing these podcasts till gone 11 o'clock. Anyway, when I came home, I managed to go indoors during the hottest part of the day just to try and stay cool and getting browner and browner and I don't think it's it's necessarily healthy but later on in the evening I came out to the garden and amongst doing more weeding I've watered all the plots yet again we are expecting rain tomorrow now a lot of my water butts are pretty much empty so hopefully if we get some rain tomorrow that should fill those up but just to make sure I can gather as much rainwater as I possibly can I've just filled some of my cans and buckets up with water from the water butts and I've also put out many buckets in order to catch as much rainwater as I possibly can ready for tomorrow. Then I've just made sure that no of my electrical items are exposed I don't really have electrical items outside as such but what I do have, just made sure they're not exposed, made sure they're all watertight. Fingers crossed this rain is going to do us some good. I've been praying for the rain and it's coming tomorrow. And from what I can tell, for the next few days we're going to have a bit of rain and it's going to be very, very welcome. Well, that's what I've been up to today. I'm just at, at the uh, patio area and I'm just watching Bear and Poppadom chew my angled planter to bits in there i have planted out some endive and uh, what have you and they are eating at the endive and digging them out so i'm going to tell them off and put the plants back into place so while i do that i shall send you back to the podding shed
Well, I'm joined today in a podding shed by Jason and Michael, all the way from Minnesota. Now, they're going to talk to us a bit about grow lights, and I thought this would be quite an interesting subject to actually learn some science, some practical things about grow lights. So, Jason and Michael, welcome to the podding shed. And let's start by just finding out a bit about your background and where you started from. We started um, in Minnesota, in the United States and um, manufactured a, a light here that worked in architectural lighting. Yeah. Um, we used micro LEDs, and then we got into horticulture lighting by chance as we were discovered. And we had a unique product that really worked well in the horticulture space. And Minnesota, the University of Minnesota, has a very robust agriculture department that we were able to have access to to actually do research and development on our light fixture the light fixture the, the research and development really pushed through your light fixtures in quite a significant way you you mentioned that you were able to grow basil from 17 days down to 12 days yeah that's cor- correct um we were um we started grow film we had a local company that uh was using an existing bright agrotech system and if anybody has heard of a massive company called Plenty here in America, they purchased all of Bright Agrotech's tech to build their farms. But we were able to go into this farm um, with our light solution. And since we have superior uniformity and superior coverage, it was able to drop that grow time from 17 days down to 12, um, which if somebody's producing basil, that's a significant increase in production. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 17 days down to 12 days, that means you can produce, well, what's that? That's a reduction of about 30% of time. So therefore, you could effectively produce 30% more basil or basil. Correct. That's, that is correct. That's quite a significant change, especially for the commercial growers. It, it is. And, and that's kind of our place in all this. We we position ourselves to be able to kind of give any grower what light density they need out there. And through that, you know, somebody can really find balance with their farm when it comes to cost, operational cost, and production. The light setup that you have, you've got two different versions, a rigid and a flexible version. What, what's, I guess, the, the obvious thing is the differences between the two is the rigidity. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So the so we started with the flexible emitter because that's where the architectural came from. Mm-hmm. We use the, the, the film itself, the flexible emitter behind billboards, um, you know, backlighting things uh, that need to be in small spaces. So that's kind of where we stem, stem from. But as we've gone on this journey and worked with several commercial farms, you know, we learned part of a cost of lighting is mounting your light. You know, the labor that it, that it takes to have somebody mount 10,000 lights in a commercial farm. And that really changed our gears into moving from a, a flexible emitter to a rigid emitter that can be is easily hung. It still has a lot of the same characteristics of the film, it being very thin, and we don't take up hardly any space in the rack. Um, but we really wanted to take the approach that all costs that are involved with lighting, we wanted to take a look at all of that and say, how can we make it easier for the end Yes, I mean, I, I think you mentioned to me earlier also that the weight of these bits of kit is pretty, 
pretty light, isn't it? I think uh, just looking at my notes, I made one kilogram of weight per. Approximately, yeah, yeah. Which, that's correct. Which can be held up with zip ties. Correct. E- exactly. And you can be as simple as zip ties, or we can we can also customize the mounting. You know, if you look at the lights that you have behind you, they have heat sinks behind the lights that are that are actually holding all that heat to get the heat out of there. And when you're looking at bigger commercial lights, it's the bigger the heat sinks. Uh, but for us, you know, with how we build our light, in a way, we kind of spread that heat out and it dissipates within an inch. So that alleviates us from putting a lot of hardware on our light. For us, when you're buying a light from us, you're buying light and that's it. We're not selling you a bunch of metal on top of it. We're not selling you, we're not going to, you know, powder coat it. If you want to pay us to do all that stuff, we will. But at the end of the day, it's the operational value of our light. And that's what most of these commercial farms are looking for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've noticed the amount, I mean, you've mentioned the lights that I have behind me. Now, these are just cheap grow lights that I've put up here, but I've found they have worked at boosting my seedlings, which is what they're mainly intended for. But the amount of light they actually put out, even though they're LEDs, it's quite significant. I can come in this uh, podding shed at times and it, it feels roasty hot in here because of these lights. Sure. And part of that is is the metal in the back holding. What that is, is dissipating the light out of the back of the LED diode mm-hmm. and the metal itself is getting hot. And it's keeping that heat, you know, in the room, let's say. Yeah. But Again, with the low-watt LEDs, we don't require that hunk of metal on the back. So it literally, if you want, went to see us on a trade show, we could get you a, give you a light that's been on for eight hours, and you could literally put both hands on each side. You're not going to burn yourself. Wow. And again, it just goes to the method of spreading out the LEDs versus, versus having hot LEDs trying to rain out light over a large area. You know, we're kind of over top everything, so we don't have to jack up our lights because the light is going directly into the plant. But if you have a barred light like yours, and let's say, you know, let's say you're trying to grow on a bigger area. Well, the only thing you can do on that barred light is turn it up to try to spread the light out. And turning it up is going to increase the heat. It's going to increase everything else. You know, light dissipates with distance. And if we can be over top of the plants and not burning the plants, there's just nowhere else for the light to go but in the plant. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. I believe you were also saying earlier that you would put lights underneath plants as well. Yes, we can do that underneath the plant for what's called intracanopy lighting. Yeah. So we take that to we use the rigid circuit. And we go underneath, and then what happens is with intracanopy lighting, there's been research done at Purdue University um, that shows up to a 40% increase in yield on tomato plants. And also, one of the things I wanted to share that I didn't before is by using the micro-LEDs that Michael was telling about and not having the massive heat sink and all the heat coming out of the back of the LED going in has to be dissipated, we did a study with the University of Minnesota And uh, here in Minnesota, you've got to remember, we have General Mills is headquartered here, 3M is headquartered here, Medtronic used to be headquartered here, but now I think they're in Ireland. But but you have a lot of this, and what they do, because Minnesota is a land-grant university, they do what's called a challenge grant. 
the university has to come up with some way to improve the life of the citizens of Minnesota. So they made a sustainable house. And one of the things in the sustainable house is to be able to feed food into an underserved community, right? Mm-hmm. Or in a place where there's a food desert. And they, they, the researchers, it was about five different postdoctoral PhDs, used the grow film circuit and one photo cell from a solar panel and a battery pack. And they figured out how to grow 24 heads of lettuce in basically a half a meter by meter space on a countertop wow. per month. Wow. Yes. Wow. 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 It's fascinating. Yeah. I mean, so there things like we're thinking about with your, your audience over there in the UK. I mean, you know, we're, you know, we're here in the States. We're in the Midwest. I don't know if your audience has ever been here. We're Minnesota, South Dakota, Iowa, North Dakota. I mean, you look and you, you see the land meet the horizon. Yep. Your neighborhood, probably not the same. <laughs> um, and so, you know, everybody's looking there. And I was traveling to Colorado to meet with a customer to help out with some stuff. And I had a, um, a Lyft driver who was from Nigeria. And he asked me what I was doing. And I told him about the technology and the study that they'd done with the solar panel. And he just, I mean, he lit up in his face. He said, oh, my gosh, my family needs that in my village back home in Nigeria because we lose power. He goes, Jason, do you know everybody has two cell phones? Because if one goes down, we have the other one. But do you realize what that would do to my village and my family to be able to grow our own food that way off of a solar panel? So we are very excited about some of the different opportunities that we're going to be able to provide. And we have the empirical data of putting lights underneath the canopy, shining up for uh, supplemental light in a greenhouse. Or as you know, Michael was talking about your shelf and your in your potting shed, you know, you might have the one area for your seedlings, and then we would take and put that a panel of the grow film because it's so lightweight, you could just literally thumbtack it or zip tie it into the wall, and now you're going to get all of that light hitting the plant at a very efficient uh, energy consumption, and potentially increase that yield at your home farm by thirty to forty percent. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the solar panel idea. A lot of our allotments over here in the UK, which a lot of my audience grows on, mm-hmm. we don't have electricity yep. on our allotments, which sure. when it comes to things like grow lights, it, it puts people off from having grow lights. But the fact that we can look at using solar panels to power them, that's that's really interesting to me, very interesting yeah. to me. We just had a call with a customer out of California that has built a container now where he can run the whole thing off of solar. He will hardwire direct current in, and it, it, it almost looks like, you know, the old Star Wings when they, Star Wars when they had the X-Wing fighters <laughs> where the wings would pop out. That's what happens. It's a shipping container that has the LED panels folded over on the top. They deploy it. The panels fold out. And then that brings all the power into the battery pack inside the container and it runs automatically off of that. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. I can't share that with you now. I can tell you about it, but I can't share the stuff, but it is, I mean, this, these guys, they just, we get to go into so many different places. Michael and I often go and we say, we feel like our work is Star Trek <laughs> because we go into places and it's almost like Scotty. I can't change the law of physics. 
But as one of our farmers, who's a very sophisticated farmer out of Ohio, in the whole kind of golden area by Lake Huron, he said, I've learned, I've been farming for 78 years. I've learned how to control everything I need to, except for one, and that's the sun. But you now give me the opportunity to do that. And uh, they grow some of the most sought after produce literally in the world. If you want to have um, little tiny uh, purple carrots for your dinner on top of the Peninsula Hotel in Hong Kong, as long as you call this place in Ohio 48 hours prior to your meal, it will be on your table. Wow. Fantastic. And when I put it this way, when I walked in about growing, um, I walk into their, they have a, they have a vegetable Institute where chefs from all over the world will descend on this farm to talk about sustainability, getting food in the communities, getting food into kids, teaching kids how they, where their food comes from. And the first thing I saw when I walked in there with the farmer was a picture of him and his son with their arms around Julia child. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Wow. I was like, holy buckets. You you guys aren't playing around here, are you? I mean, it's amazing. I mean, they have brick meters for their spinach. Jesus. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, I guess yeah. out of all the sites that you visited, is that the one that sticks out the most in your memory? Well, that one and then the one Michael was talking about where they grow the plants two inches away. I mean, that is absolutely, that was one of the first ones I really said, we're on Star Trek. I mean, he's got these folks and I mean, he works with this team of engineers that keeps him hopping around like a frog. And they just go, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? And we go, time out, you know. Then our engineers go, okay, hold on. You just pushed the threshold of physics. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's, that would be, I think his is obviously one of the coolest ones I've ever seen. It's so fantastic. Oh, great. Yeah, it is a neat. It, when, I, when I say container farm, you know, their idea of one farm would be over 100 shipping containers. So it's not just a small deal. It's cranes moving containers, robots planting plants, robots pulling plants out of the containers. I mean, it's... The Department of Defense contacted them because their system would be perfect for army bases like in Saudi Arabia or Afghanistan, where, you know, they're obviously not growing fresh food there. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is what I find amazing about growing food is that it's such an important part of human life. And places like the army is a great example of how they have to adapt to keep the fresh food coming for their soldiers. I always find that absolutely fascinating. And you hear stories like this, it drums it right yeah. home. Well, that, I mean, that was the one where I, I literally, he goes, well, hold on a second. I got to visit the site. Um, I was going to be in the area and, and Michael and I often work tag team on these because they are so tactical and we will literally be working for teams of engineers that, Hey, can you find this? Can you do that? And, I was by his customer, so I said, can I stop by? And, and the CEO and engineers are really, they're, I mean, they're like friends with us. And he said, come on in. And he goes, hey, do you want a strawberry? I go, sure. And I'm inside of this R&D warehouse full of shipping containers. And he uncracks a door and pulls this whole wall, 40 feet long by 8 feet high, of beautiful, bright red, delicious strawberries, pulls one off and goes, here, try it. I'm looking, going, are you kidding me? And, I mean, 
delicious, sweet, everything. <laughs> it, it was just fascinating. I mean, it really is fascinating. Amazing, amazing. Now, now you mentioned uh, earlier as well, a living wall that goes into restaurants. Has this been a popular th- use of your products? Yeah, that's more on the architectural side of the film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, and, and obviously the COVID-19 has slowed down all the restaurants and things like that because they're just flat out not open in most places. Um, but, yeah, people want, uh, you know, some kind of that, that local vegetable and display that, you know, it's being displayed in the restaurant, but you'll also see the chef come out and actually pull the produce off and use it uh, for whatever they're making. Um, also same for microgreen shelves. We're doing a lot of microgreen shelves in restaurants and Hilton hotels in Los Angeles. And it's the same thing. It's kind of that visual when you can see the chef making your food, you can see the chef coming out, clipping the night microgreens that were grown right on site and putting it on your dish. Yeah. That's the type of restaurant I want to go eat in. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, and that's one thing that we haven't even talked about. This COVID-19 stuff is going to accelerate commercial indoor growing. Mm. People don't want their food touched, processed, um, you know, traveling, um, you know, especially with what's going on with this virus. And a lot of these a lot of these companies have this so automated that nobody ever touches the food. A planter plants it. The system grows it. A harvester harvests it, a packager packages it, you know, so a lot of these places can really run where, you know, you're going to look at your grocery store and say this was harvested 48 hours ago versus a week and a half ago. Um, and I, I, I think what we're hearing, because a lot of the commercial farm business right now, it's about raising capital, raising capital to build these big farms. And with kind of what's happened to the world here in the last two months, this is just making even a bigger case for having localized grown food. Um, yeah. You know, in Minnesota, in December, all of our stuff comes from California. And by the time we get it here, there, there is no nutritional value in how many people has touched that food. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's definitely going to accelerate what's going on in this industry. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the COVID-19 problem has uh, changed quite a few. Well, I, th- I feel it's changed the world, especially in the vegetable growing world. I've noticed there's been an increase in people who want to grow our own food at home or on their allotments. And then there's a group of people who don't have any outdoor space, but they still want to grow their own food. And I've been pushing, you know, you can go down and get some grow lights they're not that expensive, but the, your grow lights sound like they are going to work a hundred times better than the ones we could buy currently on the market. Yeah, I mean, we we would agree with that. I mean, definitely a lot of research and time has gone into. I mean, there's a method to the madness in how we're doing it, and it is different than barred lights. And barred lights are basically what you see out there. Yeah. So um, and. With the blades, you know, we're able to also hit a cost position that's going to be comparable to a lot of the other lights out there. Um, Because, again, when you're building a commercial grow farm, one of your largest expense is lights. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to be cost effective, especially when, you know, the product that these companies are selling 
is lettuce. You know, the margin on lettuce isn't the same as margin on cannabis, mm-hmm. for instance. And uh, even though cannabis is getting more tighter than it was in the past. So, you know, a lot of these farmers, what they're looking for is balance. You know, they don't all the time need the best solution ever. They need the right solution for their system. And, you know, through how we're structured, we can offer that Cadillac if that's what they want to buy. But we can also offer other sets of solutions that might fit their cost model better. It's really all about finding the balance in, in what they're looking for. Fantastic, fantastic. Now, if somebody does want to go and buy your products, where would they head to? Uh, just right to our website. Um, I believe uh, www.hilux.com. Um, that goes, that'll give you to our website that shows the Lumafilm, which is the architectural stuff. And a lot of people use that stuff for, you know, whether it's filming, taking photographs, or back, backlighting stuff. Um, and then it also gives to the grow film products as well. And you just quietly simply fill out a request for quote, and it'll be either me or Jason more than likely making the phone call, following up and uh, getting the ball rolling. Well, of course, I'll be adding links to this in the show notes if you are interested in finding out more. Hopefully, I know most of my audience is in the UK and hopefully that has been of some use to you as well. But I also know I've got a large proportion of my audience also over in North America. So that might also be useful to you guys too. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up for today. So please take care, everybody. Now, if you want to get in touch, it's richard at uk. You can leave a comment on the website at uk. Or you can search for me on social, just search for The Veg Grower Podcast. But for today, please take care and I'll speak to you again tomorrow.